The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live Monday at 3 p.m. like we do every single week for Upon further review, uh, thanks to those of you who have already gone, listened, watched, or downloaded our instant reaction show. But, you know, when we get things cranking right at the end of Ohio State, Penn State, that does mean that there was additional late night action we didn't get a chance to watch. Plus, you know, our usual Sunday and Monday process of going back, coming through the box scores, watching some of the games that we hadn't gotten to, which is why we love to take a little bit of time before turning the page here with Upon Further Review. But, Gentlemen, we must begin uh, with a power five coaching change that things moved very, very quickly as Gary Patterson is now out at TCU. Jerry Kill takes over in the immediate future to guide the Horned Frogs the rest of the way on the field. But TCU's administration now uh, joins what is becoming a more and more crowded power five coaching carousel. Lots of possible dominoes to uh, to get to, and I, I kind of feel like we're just at that stage of the season where we're probably going to end up having a, I don't know, at least ten minutes every single Monday, being like, and now this has happened, and now this has happened. So with the knowing that this impacts Texas Tech, but I thought you had a great comment in the group chat yesterday that this impacts Texas Tech search and, and the way that they need to go about their business. It impacts you know all these other Power Five coaching jobs in terms of the timetable. So um, let's see, like Tom, go ahead and get us started. Like, where are you at with the end of the Gary Patterson era, and how do you view this TCU job? I I think that the timing is kind of ironic in a way that if we think of where TCU was when Gary Patterson got that job, because like he became the defensive coordinator under Dennis Francione at the time in like 98, I want to say 97, 98. And TCU was then in the WAC. It had been forced to join the WAC after the Southwest Conference disbanded and it didn't get an invite to the Big 12 and it needed a home to find. 
And then his very first game coaching TCU was in a bowl game as an interim after Dennis Francione took the Alabama job, which also happened to be TCU's final game in the WAC as a WAC school. They lost to Southern Miss in a bowl game, and then they were in the same conference as Southern Miss the next year in Conference USA. They were there for a few years, won a conference title while they were there, moved to the Mountain West, won more conference titles while there, then finally got to the Big 12, won a conference title while there. And now Gary Patterson is leaving as TCU is maybe on the precipice of becoming one of the more powerful programs in the Big 12 once Oklahoma and Texas leave for the SEC because, you know, the school's location, what they have as far as the recruiting base that they're in and what's just going to be left in the Big 12 and plus what's coming with Cincinnati, UCF, Houston, BYU. So just to think of where that program was when he took over, and where it's going to be now that he's leaving. I think that, you know, you can mention, we mentioned the conference titles, you can mention all the wins. It's just, it's kind of a throwback to when we think of like the, you know, historic coaches that like built programs and then stayed there forever. Because like we see now, like coaches are generally hired to get fired. There are very few guys that are sticking around as lifers and guys that are going to last for two decades like Patterson did, and guys who become somewhat synonymous with the football program itself. And I think Gary Patterson is synonymous with TCU football like that. It's a program that's existed for a long time and it's had success before him, but it was never really incredibly relevant on a national scale. It was always relevant in Texas. It's always had that kind of stuff, but they were competing, you know, for big 12 titles. They were in 2014. This is a team that almost nearly made the college football playoff in the very first year of its existence. And I just think that you look at what he was able to do there over time and what he was able to turn that program into. And like, this is, a huge loss for TCU, and it's going to be really interesting to see where they go from here and what happens to that program now that he's no longer there. I, I think this is a really good thing for TCU, actually, uh, that that they got him out now. I, I really think Gary Patterson was a good coach, right? But this team has too much talent to be playing like it was. This was sort of the bounce back. Like, if he was going to get this thing turned around, I really believe this was going to have to be the year, and he didn't do it. They're just flat out bad. They have a lot of physical talent in this team, and they don't look really well coached. He managed to pick fights with seeming everybody they played this year and, and turn like every press conference into an issue. He had a lot of like very anti-player, anti-NIL comments, and that kind of dinosaur attitude is not going to play well going forward. I think with him being such a legend there, I mean, what if he held on, held on a lot longer, right? That, that could hurt them in the hiring process. Maybe Texas Tech makes a better hire, like you just mentioned. I mean, I, I think this is actually a pretty good thing. They were able to to rip the Band-Aid right now because this was not going in the right direction. This was the bounce back year they needed to have, and they didn't have it. What do you think, Danny? That is a statue in front of the stadium. Yeah. <laughs> like, yep. that's what he's done for this program. I think he got done dirty, the timing of it, and it's the trend. Like, get rid of him earlier and earlier and earlier so you can get the head start on your guy. And it sure does feel like Sonny Dykes is the guy – right now that Texas Tech was going to go after and now TCU is going to go after and say, oh, he's in our town. We don't have to move him that far. He's right down the road. He's the the target that we want. I just hate this that it happened to Gary Patterson this way, right? Like you couldn't figure out – you couldn't get your guy behind the scenes, at least like Gary Patterson finished the regular season. And I'm sure the conversation was pretty quick when uh, Donati they, goes no, no, in. Hold on, like, hold on. Hold on. Our, our, hey, I, I know our TCU site said that he was given an opportunity to finish the season and chose oh, not to. Oh, I'm getting to that. Well, yeah, like, I'm sure he went in there and said, no, hey. You, you said at least give him an opportunity to finish the season. 
<laughs> exactly, but done it the right way, not, hey, we're going to go in and we're going to make a change, so you're gone. Do you want to stick around? Like, I wouldn't do that either, but there's a statue of him in front of the stadium. Like, this is a program he's pretty much single-handedly built. I don't, it could have been handled better. I hate the way it is. I agree with a lot of things you're saying. Like, it's been stale. Maybe it's just been too long. But, like, you couldn't have secured Sonny Dykes behind the scenes. Yeah. You know, you couldn't – or your guy. Because I think what's going to be fascinating now is whichever one of these teams comes up with the short end of the stick. Then what? Who's your number two? You know? And then, and then are you going to be thrilled with that? Is your fan base going to be thrilled with that? When Sonny Dykes is all of a sudden as hot as sliced bread – even though he just lost to Houston, which yeah, Houston's a good team. But then what if whatever booster was willing to pony up that money was like, oh, Jeff Trailer, you want me to pay seven and a half million bucks extra to go buy him out from UTSA where he just got a new deal? Like it's just I think these programs are just they're stupid for this kind of cycle that we're in, where you go and you try to get ahead of everybody else, and it's not gonna make a difference when it comes down to it. I, don't know. I, I, just, I hate the timing of it. I, I, I think that timing plays a huge role in that everything being thrown into the air this summer, college football playoff expansion, name, image, and likeness, conference realignment, everybody at the administrator level has a hair on fire. Nothing is certain. Like run and go get all of the supplies from the grocery store that you need kind of attitude. And TCU, I think it is fair if you're a TCU fan to say, we should be the class of the new Big 12. And if you don't think Gary Patterson is getting you there, then I don't, I won't argue against deciding to to try and move on. Now you mentioned Sonny Dykes, and he's got Spike Dykes connection to Texas Tech, TCU, Texas Tech. Is there an argument in the order that you would rank those jobs? TCU, TCU, no argument, no yeah, argument. Exactly. argument. There's no Dallas argument, versus so. Lubbock, right? It yes. can be yes. that simple. Dallas versus Lubbock. Okay. I, I do want to say though, I, I agree with Danny in that, like, I. But you're right. There are all sorts of reasons for TCU to want to move on. But going back and listening to what everything I said that guy has done for the program, to do it this way is just a shitty way to do it. And it's not a respectful way to show the guy that built your entire damn program because you just want to replace him with Sonny Dykes. And you're looking for an excuse to be able to get that done now without feeling bad about going behind his back. I think it's a crappy way. And again, we don't 100% know what's going on behind the scenes, but there's also a report from Adam Rittenberg yesterday that says, from what he's been told, you can expect Gary Patterson to be coaching again sometime soon. So this doesn't tell me that this is Gary Patterson saying, hey, I'm just done with it and tired and I'm ready to step down. This is kind of like a mutually agreeing two-part ways kind of thing. And I think it's kind of just a crappy way to go about things if I'm TCU. There's never really a good way to end these, right? Uh, now, let's say they had decided to not make the move right now, but they still needed to, to secure Sonny Dykes in this hypothetical that we think that's the guy which I'm not really convinced it is, but I think he, he would be that's, an interesting yeah, fit. That's it. Like, then it comes I, out that you're talking to Sonny Dykes behind the legend's back, right? Like, the, the thing is, the thanks you get for the job is the money. It's the check, right? Like, he did a tremendous job. He got them to the Big 12, right? No other sport that TCU plays got them to the Big 12. He worked his butt off. He recruited. He developed those guys. But they are 45 and 41 in Big 12 play. They are not a factor in the Big 12 in the vast majority of years. They've been in the Big 12. They're going in the wrong direction, right? Understood. But would you like, rather be 45 and 41 in the Big 12 or sitting in Conference USA wondering where the hell you're going to be playing next year right now? Because that's what they have to thank Gary Patterson for. Sure, but they thanked really, him with the money. 
He is the top. He's the 10th highest paid coach in yes. college football. That's the, pretty the, crazy. The thanks is the paycheck. I will say this, as Madman said, they that's they what still, the money's for. They still owe him more than he owes them. I think this is a very cautionary tale of be careful what you wish for. Like Sonny Dykes may be the hire and he might get the offense going and they're off to the races. Maybe they dominate the new Big 12, which they should. But we've seen a lot of schools part ways and make moves. And then you get into the cycle of firing coaches every three to four years. And you're like, man, that was pretty nice. Now they've had, it's been a rough stretch, right? It's It's been a rough stretch, but it wasn't that long ago. You almost made the playoff too. Like there have mm-hmm. been some incredibly successful years. I, I and you, like go talk to a fan base that's never even sniffed that, and they've just been around five hundred every year, and they'd say, "Give us that roller coaster ride every all day long. Like let us get a taste of what it's like to be in the top upper echelon of college football, and we'll take that." And I don't think it's a guarantee that whatever they hire, and this is not an indictment on Sonny Dykes or anybody else, that it's just going to be because we've seen that. I mean, look at Texas right now with Sark. Like, it's so unbelievable. Like, Tom Herman gave them seven, eight wins a year. Guess what they're going to be now? They're probably going to be around seven or eight wins this season. And maybe it's the long answer, but they will keep cycling through until they get it. And they keep everyone keeps looking for the next Urban Meyer, the next Nick Saban, and they don't exist out there sitting on every street's corner or else we would see all these success stories. Tom mentioned it before. All we, all we do is these coaches get hired to get fired, and it's the dumbest dumbest thing in college football. It makes zero sense. So who is going to be the coach to get hired just to get fired by TCU? Because I'll tell you what, and I say this um, as a prediction, not as my value of him as a head coach. Sonny Dykes is a coach who gets hired to get fired. Um, I think that Justin Fuente would be a coach that gets hired just to get fired. I I saw his I, name. I was like, are you, I get he's got a history, but are you yeah. kidding me? Like, that's going to be your, oh. hey, let's roll this out to <laughs> the, the boosters and the fans. Are you kidding everybody's me? Got, everybody's got agents, Danny. Everybody's got hey. stuff going on. Okay. Gus <laughs> Malzahn would be hired just to get fired. Like, there, there are a lot of coaches that would fit that role um, of what you're saying, where it's a cycle. But maybe there is someone out there that is a perfect fit that is going to be able to continue it. To me, the odds do not suggest that whoever follows after the 20 year legend who forever transformed the program is going to be there for very long. Can I ask all, go ahead, John. I just want to pose one thing because Sonny Dykes is the rumored hire. And while that would be super interesting just from the rivalry between SMU and TCU standpoint of TCU stealing SMU's coach, like there's this thing with Texas schools where it's like they have to have a coach who knows Texas, right? Like every single one, there's like this separate universe of Texas football where if a guy doesn't have experience in Texas, we can't hire him. What was the last Texas school to reach the college football playoff or have major success? Maybe you should consider hiring a coach from outside the state. Just say it. Urban Meyer was not from Florida. Did pretty well at Florida. The the being like you you don't necessarily have to be from there. I think you have to under, like be able to quickly assimilate and under, understand the culture, but it. It's a little bit crazy to think that nobody who is not from there is able to do that. I just to get back to them this year, though, they have really like they've kind of quit, right? I mean, look, they're, they're well, the post-game. defense is bad, and if the defense yeah. is bad for Gary Patterson, that's mm-hmm. that's at your feet. No quarterback development, defense is bad. Post-game win expectancies last three weeks: three percent, seven percent, one percent. They only have a post-game win expectancy over fifty percent in one game this year against a D one team. 
Like this team was going in the wrong direction, and I think they're going to be worse next year given what they might lose. So I, I, I don't know. Like I feel like I'm out on an island here thinking it's no, just the right move. I don't, just the timing I, you guys don't like, I guess. I don't like the timing, the timing or the way it was handled. Okay, and but to. I, there maybe there never is a great way. I, mean, Dan- I saw the end of Bobby Bowden. That wasn't yes. pretty. And there's a statue of him too. You know, and Bowden kept saying he wanted one more year, one more year, and they kept giving him one more year. And then he was like, "No, I really want one more year." And things kept going more downhill. Uh, do you think that yeah. he would have gone well if they had given him through the rest of the year, and and then let him go on Thanksgiving? Like, do you think he would no, have handled the optics of everything? It looks more respectful, I think. And I don't okay. think there's that much of a difference if Sonny Dykes, like, is, is Sonny Dykes going to step away from SMU and sign this deal tomorrow? You know, maybe, does, maybe one day that happens. <laughs> I think that right? will I mean, happen one day eventually that happens. with the early signing period. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I think one of the oh, determinations. Yeah, yes. Because look at all the guys who signed in 2018. We'll talk about Florida in a little bit, right? Look at Jimbo's 2018 class. Look at Taggart's. Look at Frost's. Basically, everybody who was not an internal promotion, so not Day, not Cristobal, not Jimmy Lake, that first class you sign is a disaster. And I think the ability to sign a good first class and get a jump on things is important. Eventually, somebody will take that bullet and leave the team they're coaching midseason to go start work on their new team. It'll probably be a G5 to a P5 type jump, and they'll be the bad guy like once you sign with a new school, your, your dedication needs to be to that new school because they don't want to have that first class go for not. And this Can is I purely anecdotal, but like, sorry, this is purely anecdotal, but like just look at the trend of when coaching firings are being made. Yeah, They're being made earlier and earlier in the year. Why? It's a direct result of the early signing period. So it's only a matter of time before we start seeing coaches doing that in season. Because nobody's really cap. No one's been like, oh, they fired their coach early so they could lock up this guy and then he gets a head start. It's, it's, uh, it's it only you know it sets back again even worse. Now maybe this is where it's the mistake. Is TCU's staff right? Like what are they what's that class gonna look like? You know, is their kind of interim staff, are they still recruiting to TCU because they love the university? Hey, you should still come here, but their foot's out of the door. They're all looking for new jobs. Like their class is gonna get blown up, probably. Um, question for you guys, because I think we all agree that TCU above Texas Tech in the Big 12 as it sits now. Where does TCU rank in the new Big 12 with UCF, Houston, Cincinnati, BYU in the mix? Still up there, top two or three? Yes. Yeah. yeah. As far as potential, I think, yeah. 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 Like, would you rather have TCU or Cincy? I'd rather have TCU. I'd rather have TCU. What about UCF? That's where we're saying top two or three and not yeah. confidently saying number one. And that's where TCU right. wants to be number one. UCF spends, TCU does spend. Yeah. They both have geography. Yeah, the, the the thing that we can't know for sure when it comes to that kind of stuff, and we've seen examples of in previous realignment rounds, is that like Cincinnati joins the Big 12. Its entire recruiting footprint is going to change a little bit. Like when UCF joins the Big 12, its recruiting footprint is going to change a little bit. You never really know how a team is going to react. Because, like, look at what moving to the Big Ten, you know, part of what's happened in Nebraska is they don't have that same kind of access to Texas and Oklahoma that they had when they were part of the Big 12. And it's affecting their impact and it's affecting their identity now of what they're trying to be as a program. And we don't know how it's going to impact BYU, Cincinnati, UCF. I think Houston's obviously in the best position to just show up and be Houston right away. So how long until uh, Nebraska joins this uh, this coaching carousel portion of our weekly check-ins? Oh, I don't think it's much longer. 
Yeah, I, this is very, very close to the end. And I, I guess if everyone seems to agree on that one, is today has been a wild day in Gainesville. Uh, I don't know how everyone's feeling about Dan Mullen and the future of the Florida program. I don't have a good gauge yet on how serious this is or whether it's just wildly uncomfortable, whether this is just shutting down media access among around um, a program that is reeling just a little bit and potential staff changes to come, or whether this is something that's really concerning I mean, what what do you make out of a wild Monday in Gainesville? I have a lot of thoughts. Good. Let's let's go. Okay. That's what this is for. <laughs> All right. So off the jump, I do want to say I actually still think Dan Mullen's a good coach. And I actually still have had to manually downgrade them a little bit in my power ratings because on a play-to-play basis, they've actually still been a very strong team this year. They have two wins or two losses rather that I grade as like super fluky because they had a lot of return touchdowns go against them. And we know that's not really repeatable skill. Uh, They played Bama really close. And on a down-to-down basis, they actually competed with Georgia fairly well. And then they had a three-minute meltdown, which is probably the biggest three-minute meltdown that we've ever seen (laughs) in this sport right before the half, which was just crazy. The thing is, though, I used to be on a podcast called called Podcast Ain't Played Nobody. It's it's gone now. But Stephen Godfrey, who covered Dan Mullen and and, knows that, that situation pretty well, he always said how bad Mullen was in interviews for jobs, right? And there's a reason, like, he didn't get the Miami job. He didn't get the Tennessee job twice. There were other SEC jobs he interview- interviewed for and didn't get. And the guy who hired him was a dude who really didn't have to interview him. I'm not saying Scott Strickland didn't interview him, but he had worked with him, so he wasn't having to, like, make a first impression in an interview. It doesn't shock me that Mullen repeatedly says stuff in press conferences that is seen as awkward or very easily misinterpreted as he was today when he said, I'll talk about recruiting when it's time for recruiting. Now, what he meant was, like, we're in the season right now. I want to talk about the season, how it's being interpreted as, I'm not recruiting right now, which is exactly the criticism that a lot of Florida fans uh, levy at him. Now, that's not it, it's, it's incorrect to say that Florida does not recruit. I think they're actually a decent team this year in what was expected to be a bit of a down year, a bit of a transition year, not a terrible year. They're underachieving expectations but they are not close to catching georgia and alabama and this is year what year four for for mullen there and i think florida fans are saying hey we've we know what this program looks like when it is at peak capacity that's urban that's spurrier and florida is not recruiting at that level so i do think they'll probably have to make a defensive coordinator change and maybe another change or two to get some more dogs in there on the recruiting trail uh but man, like, yeah, they cancel our media availability. It's not great when you have to protect your head coach from himself from saying stupid stuff. Um, yeah. What do you say to, cause you say they're not close to catching Georgia or Bama. They beat Georgia last year, you know, gave Alabama maybe their best test of the year. And this year almost beat Alabama. And ha- I, I still feel like I was on the right side, plus 14 and a half, whatever the, our number was that it closed at. Cause I will refuse to give into that one. But I didn't think it was that glaring of a talent gap. Is it that bad on the recruiting trail? I mean, the roster makeups. So they're just not like Florida State and Florida or in Miami. If you're Florida, you're coming off two BCS bowls in a row. You should be kicking their ass, and you are just not. Mike Norvell is beating Dan Mullen on the recruiting trail right now. Norvell's like seven and fourteen in Tallahassee. That should not happen. That's a, that's a staff issue and a recruiting mentality issue. You talk to guys who work for like a Mario Cristobal or for Saban. Those dudes, they live, eat, breathe, sleep recruiting. They find a way to bring up recruiting in every single meeting. I don't get the feeling that Mullen is that type of guy. I don't think he cares about recruiting to that level. And in college, you are responsible for the talent you bring in. 
That's why I made the argument over the summer that Florida fans would much rather have Kirby Smart, and they went nuts on me for it, and now I bet you they all agree with me. So how about that, guys? But <laughs> I, I, I do still think his scheming is great, but if you're going to not be a great recruiter, you better be a really, really good play caller, and you cannot commit 15 penalties in a game. And yeah, man, they're they're not happy with him down there in Gainesville right now. So I mean, what's what is uh, that? What's the next job that you think comes open? I think Dan Mullen's probably still Florida's head coach in twenty twenty two. How about that? Yeah. He's probably going to go eight and four. Like, and then you breathe a sigh of relief. I mean, if he loses to Florida State, that might that won't look great. But I still think. I mean, they just extended him again. But I did see that his buyout's very unique. It's twelve million dollars every single year. Like it doesn't go, it's just $12 million like flat buyout. Yeah. But it's payable over a long-term period. If Florida wants him gone, that ain't, that is not going to cost them much at all. Like they, Mm -hmm. they could ax him tomorrow and and not feel it. Uh, But I still find this as part of the beginning of pressure for next season, not as a turning point where uh, Florida makes a change in this off season, not anywhere close to, uh, as we suggested with our, positivity the belief that nebraska is going to quickly join the ranks of power five schools that are looking to replace their football coach um who else is on the list of uh i heard spencer hall one time call them the good boys you know like all all the good little boys all the boys who are on the agents approved list the oh, good dogs i think was it you know oh yeah he's a good dog like james franklin's a good dog you know you could you could imagine james franklin going into any power five job and and being able to to be successful so who's who's going to be on that list that is you know, the four or five guys that you think are going to end up getting connected to a lot of these jobs that include TCU, that include Texas Tech, and and potentially might inc- include the the likes of Nebraska. Napier, Grinch, Dan Lanning. Uh, trying to think of other guys here. I, I, I got a I question actually, for you. Yeah. Does Brent Venables leave? Maybe. No. I don't think he's going to get a head coaching job. I I think if Brent Venables wanted a head coaching job, he would have had one by now. Yeah, Kansas State both made made the most sense at the time, and he was very comfortable, very locked in. And he gets paid. He gets paid very well to just coordinate a defense and not be the guy on the hot seat. Um, Todd Munkin. Does he parlay this into? I mean, there's just. Have I we see seen more, enough from Georgia's offense to really think? No. Who cares? Who cares? There's some people that, you know, they just, they've got that tap, right? They've been christened at the AFCA conference at the secret meeting where they decide, like, oh, you are a coach who is deserving of the path to the top. You, you know what I'm talking about. The, they're just sort of industry approved names. It's <laughs> whoever hired Jimmy Sexton. The guys with the yes. right friends. Mm hmm. Um, I don't know. I mean, would a Randa Bell on Baylor? I don't. I don't think so. I think he's got a pretty good job at Baylor. You could argue that Baylor Jeff also Grimes. wants to be in that spot where it is one of the best programs in the new Big Twelve. Okay, Jeff so Grimes, th- this maybe? also brings up some. Yeah, Danny, that's a good one too. Let me throw this out there if I can. Are coaches going to continue to see the Big Twelve as a Power Five league? That's what I'm interested in finding out with this coaching search. And that's the thing, because I do think that the way things are going. team quality is not. Yeah, like that's, I I mentioned this in Slack last night when the Gary Patterson news broke that I thought that's going to be the most interesting thing about this job search is on the one side, are you going to get a coach that's going to view TCU as the guy, the the school that could be the big 12 power of the future? Or are you going to get coaches looking at that job and saying, 
well, yeah, it's going to be the best team in the Big 12, but the Big 12 is just going to be a G5 conference. Mike Elko? Yeah, I think so. Um, it's, it is a wide list that includes sitting head coaches and also coordinators on the rise. I mean, it is, it, you could keep going all the way to like 12, 13, 14 names. And to Bud's point that he made once, and I continue to bring up over and over again about the window, um, Sonny Dykes, Billy Napier, Jay Norvell, and Hugh Freeze all have quarterbacks right now that will not be there next year. If I was all four of those head coaches, I think your window is right now to be able to go and make that jump. Matt Campbell going to come up again? Yep. I, if I was Matt Campbell, I would be interested. Though I've I've got Matt Campbell in my um, fan fiction narrative penciled in as the Michigan State or Penn State target should Michigan State or Penn State come open. For sure. I wonder if Nebraska came open, if Matt Campbell would have interest in that gig. Corn, I mean, we got corn. a carousel Why coming up. It's going to be one for the ages. As that's all I know. Mm-hmm. This thing's going to be nuts. Yeah, the, the dominoes are, are really going to be pretty – pretty interesting here and we're going to figure out like quite a bit what the what the agent industry thinks about some of these jobs with with all this conference realignment stuff yeah it's it's gonna be fun it's gonna be really fun like i i am a little bit guilty um that i get so much enjoyment from the hiring and firing and the coaching carousel like it's just it is interesting i do not know what's going to happen you know there are just a lot of dominoes that are going to fall and it's all going to happen in the next two months or so and we look forward to uh, bringing you all the twists and turns here on yes, the Cards to Be podcast. I got Here's a couple a more names. Oh, okay. sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, Coca just mentioned one. Here's how about Graham Harrell? I mean, look at look at what North Texas was when Graham Harrell was its OC, and look at what North Texas has been since Graham Harrell left for USC. And again, he's he's coached in Texas before, so he's got to be good. That's a good point. Um, a couple coordinators from the SEC West. I think Mississippi State defensive coordinator Zach Arnett has been a tremendous hire for Mike Leach. He's a guy who's coached in different places. Young dude, solid recruiter, runs an interesting scheme. Has obviously, I think it's good that he's actually been with a very offensive coach now because you don't want to hire that defensive coordinator guy who's like super stodgy. You know, he, you wanted to turn around like 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 Aranda in year two, not year one Aranda uh, like, like like he was last year. And then also, what about Jeff Levy and Kendall Bryles? I mean, yeah. obviously, there's the the old Baylor connection, but I think they, to some extent, distanced themselves enough from that to where they've been able to get hired at their places. We haven't seen somebody from that from that Baylor staff get a head coaching job since. I don't believe, uh, but I think that will probably be coming at some point. Kendall Texas one. Tech makes sense to me. Like yes. if Texas Tech runs through, you know, a couple or maybe a candidate or two end up going somewhere else, like that. I've, I've been calling Billy Napier the LSU floor and saying that's still a pretty good position to be in. Kendall Browse might be the Texas Tech floor, and that still might be a good position to be in. It also, like, there are some very vocal boosters there who want Art Browse and the administration's like, hell no, I mean, for obvious reasons, right? Okay, uh, hear me out. I've got another one. Yeah. Okay? I've got another that could be the way they backdoor that. What uh, about Hugh Freeze to TCU? Yeah, makes sense. Would be a good opportunity. If I was Hugh, I would take it. How strong, like, okay, I'm not saying this in a sarcastic manner. I'm saying this legitimately. How is, like, the C in TCU capital? Oh, like, for, we're, we're about forgiveness here, but that's what the whole <laughs> Christian religion okay. is about. We forgive. I, I agree, but I'm saying, like, does TCU image-wise, because at Liberty, clearly, like, you know, they'll tolerate anything, but um, does TCU care about that kind of stuff? Because if so, that could matter with the hiring freeze or not. I think it's already in the rear view. 
I think yeah. he got the second chance. He's you know okay. he's kept it clean. Mary um, Magdalene was in the Bible. You freeze can coach at TCU. <laughs> <laughs> what about Garrett Riley? Last name, Lincoln's brother, SMU, Tanner Mordecai is having a great season, but maybe he just goes with Sonny and then parlays that move into another one. Maybe it's too early. Another maybe job. If Sonny I, leaves, he stays. And gets promoted. Maybe. That's promoted. Yeah. yeah. I, um, I, I really like your Jeff Grimes recommendation, Danny, because right. like watching, we watched Virginia and BYU on Saturday night, watching those two offenses play, and then watching the BYU offense last year, now watching this Baylor offense this year under Grimes. I, I'm, I want more BYU coaches running teams. You know who I think is done, but it'll happen after the season, and it'll be handled the right way? Is Cutcliffe at Duke. It's been bad. It's been kind of... They're not very competitive now. I don't know. I've heard a couple things um, that, you know, Hayes going to... Yeah, he's going to retire, Well, you know. Or you know, do something. He's but he won't be at Duke next year. They'll be to replace Coach K and Cut at the same time. Going to be interesting Mm. times in Durham. Meaning, would you rather have Duke or Texas Tech? This is a good example of what I'm talking about. With do you still consider the Big Twelve a Power Five conference? I know they filled they filled all their spots real quickly to try to like not have that long period of not having enough teams so they wouldn't no longer so they would not like fail to be considered a P five league. But like, how will coaches view this? Would you rather Give have a job in fire, buddy, or Texas? Give Tech? us some fire. Tell people, tell the people that Duke's a better job than Texas Tech. I'd I'm rather not have Duke. It is. I'd rather I'd have like, Duke. Okay, Tom did it. Give me Duke because I can go five and seven there for a decade and never be in trouble. <laughs> it's kind of Kentucky-ish in that way, yeah. right? I mean, Texas Durham, Tech. Yeah, Texas Tech's going to fire me if I'm not going to a bowl game every year. Te- at very Texas least. Tech's got expectations. They're not mm-hmm. justified, but they have them. Durham, Lubbock. Durham, Lubbock, <laughs> give me yeah. Duke. Yeah. You're right. So this is the other part of this that we talk about sometimes. Fans are going to say Texas Tech. Coaches actually care about like where do you live? Am I can I raise my kids and have both of my kids make it through high school? Can I coach here for six years? What's right? the income tax in, in North Carolina though, Chip? Um, it, is Texas one of those no state in? We do. Correct. We pay Texas zero. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So. And, and I love my services that I get as North Carolina taxpayer. Next on the Reason Podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, all right. Coming up on the other side. Listen, this coaching carousel conversation is literally going to continue for the next six weeks. And we will uh, continue to update you on all of the latest uh, here on the Cover 3 podcast. But uh, we've got a big week in college football, a big announcement on Tuesday night. So... Uh, We will do our college football rankings discussion here on the other side. Polls versus playoff. What do we expect from the selection committee and more next? The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. New AP Top 25 released on Sunday. Georgia still the unanimous number one team. Cincinnati at two, Alabama at three, Oklahoma at four. Michigan State up three spots to number five, jumping ahead of Ohio State. Oregon staying put at number seven. Notre Dame, eight. Michigan, nine. Wake Forest, 10. The Demon Deacons in the top 10 for the first time in the AP poll era. Uh, Our guy, Ralph Russo, dropped an interesting note uh, coming off of the rankings release, which is that no college football playoff selection committee ranking, the first batch, has ever fallen in line with the AP poll on the four teams. Now, are they just being arrogant, or are we going to learn some things? What are we expecting from the committee rankings as they are going to be released on Tuesday? Reminder, we will be doing live committee rankings reaction pod here on CBS Sports uh, on Cover 3. You can watch it live, youtube.com slash Cover 3, or download it shortly after the finishing of the taping. Uh, What are we expecting from, uh, you know, all, all of the the hooded secret society as they emerge with their smoke from uh, from Dallas. Well, based on our show bet, we know what Bud's expecting, what I'm expecting. Right. Bud Cincinnati's out. Bama's in. Is that, yeah. I didn't even hear the bet. But Bud thinks that Cincinnati will be in the top four tomorrow night because he's naive and out of his mind. Clearly. I think they might go four. <laughs> you don't think they'll get no. four? No, because if you have them in the top four, then if they win out, you have to explain why you've dropped them. You but you can yeah. get past. Like, can't we at least wrap our mind around the idea that in like it's the not a drop ranking system because they redo them every drop. week? It's yeah, brand new every week, past. Tom, as they always say. Yeah, yeah no, they're not putting them. They don't want who's who's got to be the poor son of a bee that's got to talk to the media when the rankings come out. Who's the guy? Barta, it's not Kirby right? Hocutt, right? Yeah, no, it's still uh, the Iowa. So it's Barta still. Barta. Barta does not want to sit on ESPN and get peppered by Reese Davis for 20 minutes about well, why what 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 about Cincinnati's 40 point win over whoever the hell they played in the AAC title game wasn't impressive enough to you. They're now just that's keep job. him at seven. Yeah, he's got to be the meat shield, man. He's he's got to be out there. And because it's gonna be so much better for those shows and for the playoff discussion. If we are yelling about Cincinnati and it continues to be a driving narrative, like if all top four teams win, we still instantly have a debate on the following Tuesday because of where Cincinnati is and whether or not Cincinnati's going to move. There are four undefeated Power Five teams remaining right now. Cincinnati will not be in the top four. And you think Wake Forest will be ahead of Cincinnati? No, no. I'm just saying, I think Wake Forest will be much higher in the playoff rankings than it is in either the coaches or the AP poll. That's a good observation. Ooh. Can I uh, can I get in on the bet? I think Cincinnati checks in at four. Okay, committee. cool. I'll get paid twice. I don't care. <laughs> you know what the best part about it is? Is that because they'll be different than the AP until next week. And then the AP just like, there's Reacts. no fortitude. There's no fortitude to these voters. They just want to be closely aligned and look like, oh, yeah. They must be. Look how smart they are. And we want to be right there because no one has any fortitude to stick with what they thought this week. They want to be closer aligned to what the committee thinks. So then they'll just and then we'll forget about those and we'll focus on the committee. But I just think it's funny how all of a sudden a lot of switches take place next week in the AP top 25 too. Uh, one team that I think will be a lot higher 
a lot higher than people realize, by the way, because I was just putting together some of these numbers. I look at uh, FPI's uh, resume strength, and I look at, at Connolly's uh, resume SP plus, and I just averaged them together. Michigan actually mm-hmm. has a crazy high 6.5 average. I think they're like ninth in ESPN's strength of record and like fourth in resume SP plus. Uh, that. That's going to surprise some people tomorrow night. I think just I, that surprised me. So I'm assuming it's going to surprise y'all. Like I, I well, don't, I don't see them that high. But apparently they're going to be. Is Michigan going to be ahead of Cincinnati? But they will tell you though the com- no recency bias at the loss. I will say no. They oh, will they tell you though. Everything. Won't they tell you though that they don't? They have their own metrics. They're not. It I don't is think those, they, the ones that he's referencing. I think that they are on like they use those the committee sheets. But those like, are ESPN. Then that looks yeah. But like they also used a- game control, which yep. debuted in 2014 when they were trying to keep FSU out. Went yep. away for the next seven years. Maybe it'll come back now, but that was also an, an ESPN stat. It is. It's called average Wait, win so, probability. They so use the, the ESPN. Win. The ESPN production also, uses ESPN stats. That is crazy. Uh, <laughs> Seth Byrne, by the way, has, has I, I think it was Seth or, or it was one of the Seths on, on Twitter has basically shown that like ESPN's win probability model is uh, is not accurate. Well, it's, like, it's what they're it's using really for game control for yeah. the college football playoff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's also it's also what they use for the probability of a team that's going to be in a playoff in which there is no set guidelines or nor do we understand what the playoff committee uses to put teams there. So, but hey, it makes for content. I'm with Coca. Coca just chimed in. I want to see what they do with Oregon and Ohio State. Oregon will be ahead of Ohio State. I hope so. I, they should be. I think based on what the committee has done, at least that we've seen on a consistent basis, at least at this point in the season, They'll lean on the head-to-head if it's close. At the end of the year, I doubt that'll matter if both went out. That's a great call because so many times the committee has told us about the incomplete resume, and they Mm -hmm. often do talk about to this point. Um, That's also how Cincinnati ends up getting passed at the end of the season because we've got additional quality wins that just aren't going to be there. Uh, I think I agree with you, Tom, on that. Uh, What about further down in the rankings? Are there any... The expectations, like, are you going to have a, an overvalued Texas A&M, Auburn, Ole Miss trio? Like, are you yep. are you expecting to see? Absolutely. Uh, all those two-loss SEC teams will be ahead of every G5 team that is not uh, Cincinnati. They will be ahead of Cincinnati. most. BYU? They will be ahead of, uh, yeah, I, I think they'd put them ahead of BYU for sure. Who is the next highest group of five team? Is it going to be UTSA undefeated at eight and zero, or is it going to be Houston at seven and one? Houston, I think it's UTSA. But the Tom zero in the loss column has like I feel like that's a, something that matters to the committee. It does, but I mean they're going to look at UTSA's resume and what's the best win? <sighs> it's thumping. Well, it is Illinois or Memphis? It was Western Kentucky, I thought, but. I think, yeah, but yeah, I'm just West- saying that's, but let's, they're, they're not, not going to look at it. <laughs> yeah, they're not going to look at it from that angle. They're going to say, well, they did beat a power five team in Illinois, <laughs> which is clearly more impressive than anything else. But it's just, I think that Houston, especially benching the recency bias, just beat an SMU team that had the playoff rankings come out last week would have been ranked in their top 25. So I think they're going to look at that and they'll have Houston ahead as the second highest G5 team. Which, honestly, if you're Cincinnati, is exactly what you want to see. True. Um, Texas A&M will probably be the top two-loss team, undoubtedly. Might be Auburn. 
Might be Auburn, but I think so because that Alabama win. Alabama win is going to be better than whatever Auburn has. And guess what? They play each other. So Mm -hmm. we have to settle that one uh, this Saturday in the SEC on CBS Game of the Week. Reminder, you can catch that game for free on the CBS Sports app or on cbssports.com. Any other bold predictions before we move on to a pun further review? Just want to note for the playoff purposes, uh, the SEC does need Ole Miss to beat Liberty this weekend. Like they're a ten-point favorite. If Liberty goes in there and beats Ole Miss in Oxford, assuming that like Corral actually plays, then some of this falls apart a little bit, right? Because like Bama's best win to this point doesn't look anywhere near as good. Yeah, it won't matter. Auburn's best win is look near as good. Okay, it won't. Like I, I, I think it should, but it won't. <laughs> it's one data win. point, so it shouldn't like make it all fall apart. But right, you know. What a broken Danny. We've these playoff talks. <laughs> we, haven't even had first, we haven't even had the first release yet. Um, <laughs> Where's Danny's Notre Dame going to be? Hmm. Notre Dame will be behind Oregon and Ohio State. I think it'll end up being behind Michigan. I think it'll be behind Wake, too. I agree. I think it'll be I'm like I'm curious to see where Wake ninth. goes. Where do you think, think Wake seventh is? 7th or 8th. 7th or 8th, yeah. So just like a spot or two higher than the top coaches had him at nine, AP had him at ten. A so top just, five, a top five of Georgia, Oklahoma, Michigan State, Ohio State, Alabama, then Cincinnati, then Oregon, then wait, Wake, and then you the just rest. had Ohio State ahead of Oregon. Oh, I'm sorry. Put Oregon, swap Oregon and Ohio State. My bad. Would you be totally shocked if 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 Oklahoma is Behind Wake? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I mean, Texas so 8 no, 9 0. Texas is a 4 and 4 team right now. Average margin of victory versus Power 5. Wake 17 points. Oklahoma 12 points. No wins against top me. 25 teams for either. <laughs> Wake has two wins over 500 Power 5 teams. Wake is named Wake Forest. Oklahoma is named Oklahoma. So that's the, the last thing I said is the most important thing there, I think. They don't really, it's not a, they don't really care. But, Let me do my like, Gary Barta impression for you here, bud. Yeah. Well, you know, Reese, that's that's an interesting question, and it is something we evaluated. But the committee thinks that Oklahoma, ever since making the change to Caleb Williams, <laughs> has really taken on a new dynamic offensively, and we really like what we've seen from there, which is why when it was a very close battle between Oklahoma and Wake Forest, whom we respect, we think they're doing a wonderful job. They're playing very well, and they're undefeated, and you know, we're, we're thinking that there are more good things coming ahead for them. But we just think that right now, the Oklahoma that we've seen in the recent weeks with Caleb Williams is slightly ahead of the Demon Deacons, so that's why we have them there. Also, yeah. I spoke with Colin Kennedy this morning from our Oklahoma 24-7 sports site, and Oklahoma is expected to get all of those defensive backs back by next weekend. They're on by this week. So this little three-week blip where their defense was like horrendous as opposed to just decent uh, could be over. Tom, you left out one thing. You got to say the margins are close. Like it's really the margins really are close. very close, like razor thin. Like we Dude, have been, we, we've been locked in that room for the last seventy two hours. Nobody's been allowed to leave. People are peeing in bottles as we try to break this down. Um, there's each one of those. It's thirteen members, right? I think. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Who so cares? it's like each individual can swing up to like seven to eight percent of the vote. The margins aren't that small. There are some pretty dramatic votes at some point in the process. But remember, they're all staring at the same numbers that are chosen for them to stare at, which might help steer them in a certain direction. Might not. Who knows? We won't. 
Tinfoil hats. Love it. It's not tinfoil hats, Chip. It's just the reality. I mean, it's you're not wrong. You're not wrong. No, I'm not. Uh, upon further review, uh, with the chance to go back and, and look at all of the action, uh, either takes that uh, we didn't get a chance to offer in the Instant Reaction podcast or thoughts that have continued to linger, uh, but you, you dropped a whole bunch of them, so I'll go ahead and let you lead off. What is What really stood out to you when you were starting to pull your notebook together from Saturday? I, just the number of like close plays that Michigan State had to to beat Michigan. I mean, if they play that game, I I bet Michigan State, and I'm not really sure that I would again. Like I know they they had the more explosive day. Walker had a great day, but they were just lucky's not the right word. But they had a lot of things go right on the margins in in that game, and I, I just I think Michigan actually played fairly well in a losing effort. Um, I went back and watched that Florida game this morning up until the point where it got out of hand. Guys, Georgia did not dominate Florida on a play-to-play basis. That game was actually pretty close for about the first 25 or so minutes. Georgia did not drive on Florida, really. I mean, now granted, they had some short fields in, in the end of the second half to where you're not going to have long drives if you start on the 20 uh, of the opponent, but they weren't going on like long sustained drives. They didn't look like an elite offense to me. However, I really at no point felt that Florida was going to score on them either. So that is a problem. Like, okay, was plus 14 and a half the wrong side here? And if so, how wrong was it? Right. Because I I like to try to figure out, like, where my bets wrong? Where was I unlucky? Um, UNLV under, by the way, definitely the right side. That game, I think it had 730 total yards of offense and like 80 points. They had three defensive scores in that game. So, hmm. That, that one hurts. Uh, Wisconsin, given how slow Iowa plays, it's hard to have 11 tackles for loss, and they did. Like, Iowa is not just quarterback or receiver. Their offensive line is getting beat up the last couple weeks. That's that's kind of depressing there. West Virginia post-bye week is scoring on people two weeks in a row. Something to note. Producer Coca, maybe a little more insight on that. They're putting up points now. Jared Dogie's just a stud. Maybe Kirk Sirocco is calling the plays as opposed to uh, Neil Brown. I don't know. Just some speculation there. I I did a little search on Mountaineer Twitter. Uh, And then Pitt got hit by explosive plays, which is their one weakness, and Van Dyke really exploited that. That's kind of my morning going through the the big plays and critical plays uh, exercise. Uh, two games that I think were both seven o'clock kicks and were not in a in the primary screen as we were you know trying to pull everything together, finish writing assignments and be here for you uh, on the instant reaction pod. I I didn't get to enjoy um, Houston SMU. I think it was probably one of the best games of the day. And for it to end on a one hundred yard return to win the game is incredible. And the significance that it carries for Houston in terms of like the rest of its schedule, like. Guess what? SMU is going to be playing Cincinnati in the regular season. Houston doesn't have to. The chances of Houston to be able to make the American Athletic Conference Championship game are looking pretty good. USF, Temple, Memphis, and UConn is the remaining schedule. Uh, I guess that UConn game is the ultimate wouldn't be hilarious just because they'll have the conference season locked up against the old conference foe. But seven wins in a row. Uh, since a blown lead to Texas Tech in the opener, Dana Holgerson's team is one of the hottest in the country. And I didn't really get to watch the very end. The NC State-Louisville game started a little bit ugly and a little bit clunky, but I, I think that the significance of the win for a team that's taken that many injuries along the way, just just getting Ws for the Wolfpack and staying in that race is the most important thing. They got a tough one in Tallahassee 
against Florida State and then Wake Forest on the other side of that, a game that will likely play a huge role in deciding that Atlantic division. So that was just based on like the flow of my workday, two seven o'clock results that really stood out to me when I went back to watch them because I didn't really get many eyes on them on Saturday. Uh, on that NC State game, Louisville played them very much head up for about the first, what, 50 minutes or so. And then NC State just turned it into a gear, which is the gear I wanted to see them hit against Mississippi State and against Miami, which is just playing to their potential, I think. And they just absolutely put it on Louisville in like the final 10 to 12 minutes of that game. And, uh, and like they were down with what, a quarter to go or so. And then they end up, they, they, they end up like three scores. Towards the end of the game, and Louisville punches one to, to cut it to two. That was that was impressive closing power from those guys. Devin Leary, uh, David Hale had a stat, and I don't know what it was off the top of my head, but like he's having a season this year as far as protecting the football and actually throwing for scores that is like one of the better seasons in the last decade. I uh, just to look at Georgia, it's so eerily familiar the Georgia hatred that their fans have for me is so similar to what the Bama fans had like 2015, 2016, like 2014, 15, 16, when they had unbelievable defenses and Jake Coker at quarterback. You know, like I, it's a problem. I, and maybe it's not, maybe JT Daniels swoops in and he's the guy that we all thought he was going to be. And he's a first round draft pick and just convinces everyone, oh, okay, we're, you know, we're just going to be fine. They're not going to get tested until the SEC championship game. And I think that's a problem. I think they're going to roll. Like, who's the best quarterback that they've faced? And it's not exactly a laundry list of opponents. And so they've been able to get away with handing the ball off. And Stetson Bennett kind of got exposed a little bit, didn't have his best game. They need to have, they're going to at some point need another gear offensively. And I don't know if JT Daniels is the guy to do that. We can all think he is because he put up big numbers at the end of last year, but he didn't play great against Cincinnati in the bowl game. That was probably the best defense he's faced. Glad you brought it up because I wrote about it today. I'm not sure it's going to matter. Yeah, I agree. I was I was thinking about this because that Jake Coker team had to face Deshaun Watson and Clemson. Who is that Deshaun Watson-Clemson team out there? Because Ohio mm. State, they didn't look very good against Penn State. Like They got the dub, but Penn State had guys open, and they, if they didn't have Sean Clifford, and they had a QB who could pull the trigger. Maybe they're hitting some stuff on them. And Ohio State was not able to run the ball on Penn State after Illinois ran it all over their ass. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of thinking it may not matter. And another Tom, thing too, right. like Stetson Bennett right now is four pass attempts shy of being able to be, you know, a qualified passer for like pass rig and all those kind of stats. If he'd thrown four more passes this season, do you know where he would rank nationally as far as passing efficiency? Got to be number one, right? Second, okay. Caleb Williams, who has made up for lost time in a quick Player amount of the month. Of, but he, yeah, he would rank second nationally. He would lead the SE in pass efficiency. And it's like, so, I'm not sure Georgia actually has a quarterback controversy. I think we're just looking for something to nitpick and saying this is, could be the one thing. And it might be. Like, they get behind. Yeah, that's a problem. But Oklahoma with Caleb Williams, if they're down by 20 points to anybody, they're in trouble with Caleb Williams. So it's like, I I don't know how big of a deal it's going to be. And also another thing too, because like you think, okay, well, well, if they're in a, this up while I was doing the research article today, the season has played eight games and it has been in third and long 27 times. One team has been in third and long fewer times. It's Army. They've been in 25 times. 
times with less game. Georgia doesn't get in third and long situations where it needs a quarterback to make a play because it's on first and second down that it's all elementary anyway, and you can't score points on them. So I don't know that they really think that they are just there. The, is it my internet or is it Tom's? No, I think it's Tom's. Yeah. All right. Do I, you? I, I want to say one thing uh, to, to to agree with Tom here. Uh, I do think Georgia's defense is like probably so much better than the number two defense as well. In a, in a way that maybe like there were some defenses that were somewhat close to Bama's defense in 2015, 2016. So like that's where the Jacob Coker thing. I'm not going to say falls apart, but maybe it doesn't hit quite as hard for me because like my second best defense in the country right now is Clemson, followed very closely by Wisconsin. And I do think that Georgia is like a significant step ahead of both those defenses. Like, I agree. They're just a different – like they might be a generational unit right now to where if Georgia could run the ball and play pass, they can just – they can cash that 10-to-1 ticket for me with Stetson bit of this quarterback. God, I hope so. I, it reminds me of uh, like there was a, I remember going into the Oklahoma Georgia Rose Bowl. There was some stat about uh, Georgia having the best third down defense in the nation, and the counter was Oklahoma doesn't get to third down. <laughs> like oh oh, what's Georgia going to do on third and long? Well, to Tom's point, they just don't get to third and long. Like that's that is simply uh, that is, that is simply a great way to handle that situation. Um, all right. Any other uh, upon further Tom? Thanks for bringing up the uh, the Monday after column. Um, I I haven't gotten a chance to read it yet. I've got it pulled up on my screen. I will be uh, reading it as I export the audio. Well, you came in with all that great like Gary Patterson stats, like you'd compiled it all, and I was like, you know what? It kind of sounds like Tom wrote about this. You uh, also did that too. So for mm-hmm. uh, for t- more on Tom's thoughts on ge- the Georgia quarterback situation. Gary Patterson and more. Uh, be sure to check out his Monday after column on CBSSports.com. Right, any, anything else for a pun for the review? Uh, I do. I, I've seen a lot of criticism about Michigan using McCarthy and the turnovers late in the game. I think that's a lot of results-based criticism because Michigan's been using McCarthy pretty regularly for a few weeks now, and they weren't losing games because of it. I think it was just he was in the game and he made a mistake, and crap happens sometimes. I feel better. I, that was my response in a, to a Baltimore radio station this morning. Uh, the host was furious with the decision to uh, to bring McCarthy in when he had you should have left it with the old guy. He said instead of making the rookie go in there. It's like I don't know. Probably it was part of the game plan. It's been part of the game plan previous weeks. Probably just going to stick to the game plan uh, is what I'm sure that I'll tell you. All right, we've got uh, at this point in the year, it is one of the most fabulous times of the year. We've got midweek action on deck. And we want to make sure that if there are any games that we particularly like or any bets or sides uh, that we want to give you the angles on, that we still deliver them here on the Cover 3 podcast. So each Monday, if we've got midweek action on deck, since we're not going to necessarily give you the chance before those Tuesday night games kick off, uh, we want to offer our Mac Locks. So, with five games, two of them on Tuesday, or I guess three of them on Tuesday, two on Wednesday, uh, are there any games or picks that stand out that you would want to offer to the good listeners of the Cover 3 podcast as a Mac Lock? I don't have anything that I love on the three games on Tuesday night, although pay attention to the weather forecast in both the Akron and Toledo games and in the Ohio games, because it could be pretty windy come Tuesday night. So, that's for that. But for Wednesday, 
I really like Central Michigan getting 10 if you can find it. And I'm also kind of fond of Northern Illinois getting three and a half. Uh, Tom and I are, are in total agreement there. I played in NIU five. There were some 10 and a half. It was weird. I actually, I played the 10 and then there were some 10 and a half that popped, but I, I, I ended up with, with, with some 10 there. Uh, yeah, I, I think those are both good numbers, Tom. Um, you can run the ball on Kent State, and mm-hmm. NIU is a team that wants to run it a whole lot. I, I keep saying NIU is lucky, and then I keep betting on NIU, and they keep winning for me. So it's kind of weird. I'm like, hey, like, like I, I don't like them that much, but like Vegas likes them even less than I do, so that creates value, blah, 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 blah. Uh, I also like Ohio catching seven or more and Akron getting the 20. So Ohio catching seven or more at home against Mac Miami Ohio on yeah. Tuesday <laughs> on Tuesday night and Akron plus the twenty dogs. I mean, just line up for me some um, home dogs and unders for a windy Tuesday in the Mac. Also, Tom, can you explain this? I I hit under sixty four in Central Michigan, Western Michigan, and this line has done nothing but go against me on this. It's like sixty seven now. What? Why? Maxson, that's I, I, no, I'm I don't know because there here. really there hasn't been a whole lot of public. So I'm guessing we're going to find out that maybe some a key defensive player or two are suddenly missing. But I don't know because yeah, move, yeah, no, I know it's really strange. And then if you look at the numbers, it's like most of the money to this point, and we haven't really seen a whole lot of public action is on the under. But it, so, and this is for which of those two Wednesday games where it's up? Central Michigan, Western Michigan. This may be a release by one of the groups. I'll, I'll, I'll text and we'll find. We'll, we'll talk about it on Wednesday, I guess. But um, what does that mean? So, like, there are groups out there who who have like like a lot of buying power, and they uh, they hit it, and then they also release it, and then their followers go and hit it, and it moves the market. Is that you like- know? It's it's like Bitcoin, but betting. Yeah, mm. like the NFT space. Mm-hmm. Woo! Boy, learn something new every day here on the Cover 3 podcast. I mean, I, that's that's impressive stuff. Text your people. We'll know by Wednesday whether or not this was uh, this was a release for, for this Wednesday night game. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernell. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3 You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with h track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. 
There's joy in every journey.